Shut up and sit down. Hey, it's Ben. I'm back hosting the Limited Upside podcast. In my absence, Mike did a fairly decent job. I would say sticking to the name of Limited Upside is appropriate for the job Mike did hosting, but I appreciate him being able to make uh, make that work in my absence as I was uh, busy with my physical therapy. Today we have a great show. We have uh, one of our favorites and most frequent callers, one of our dear friends of the podcast, Mike Pina, Pina calling us. Mike Pina is uh, a writer for Bleacher Report for The Real GM and for Sports on Earth, and he always has some pretty good hot takes on Twitter and on this podcast for bold predictions. Always fun. Always good to have him on. And here we go. We are joined by our most uh, frequent caller, most frequent caller of all time, the loyal friend of the pod, venerable Mike Pina is calling us. Uh, Mike, how's it going, bud? Good, Ben. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. Loving all the work you're putting out there. I should men- mention that uh, Mike is uh, writing for Bleacher Report. He writes for, you still write for Real GM and Sports on Earth, too? I do, yes. Yeah. So, yes, multiple outlets to find uh, Mike Pena. And we also have Mike Prade on the line. Mike, you're in the studio, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, the sweltering hot studio that we have set up. How are you? <laughs> doing well, man. I'm in my tiny box here that I've been recording from at home. So I think we're all in good places. I would argue that Pena is in the best place here in California, right? As a, as I, a, as a star. I, I am indeed, yes. Okay, yeah, you win then. Okay, good for you, man. So, <laughs> how, how, <laughs> it's raining and a little crappy outside. It took, uh, took a while to get home from work today. Nonetheless, we are going to do a playoff grab bag. Mike and I have been talking so specific to the games lately. Our callers have all been you know at the game or reporting from the game. I think the three of us just need to tackle as three big NBA fans who have watched probably far too many late, late games, at least for Prada and I. I don't know about Pina. For you, they're perfect, I'm sure. We should talk <laughs> the playoffs as a whole. Um, I think there's no better place to start than our freshly minted matchup in the Western Conference Finals, and then we can kind of just go from there uh, uh, off the OKC Spurs series first. Um, we have Golden State playing Oklahoma City, which you know, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, surprise- yeah, all right, all right. Let's give you, Let me- take your time to boast about this. Okay. Surprise. So on two previous, <laughs> being on two previous podcasts, one when we did the Western Conference preview uh, with Ziller, with Tom Ziller when he called in, uh, and then when uh, was it Zito, the Zito episode uh, mm-hmm. as well. So Zito Pod, um, I said OKC and six. I always stuck to them. Uh, I've been a huge uh, and resounding let Westbrook be Westbrook guy. And then Ziller put this awesome piece out today. I urge everyone to read it on SB nation kind of just saying, if you don't get Russ by this point, don't stop trying, let Russ be Russ. And it's such a, it's such a well said thing. So Prada, thank you for having, letting me have my moment. And now let's get to why OKC is there and let you have the horns uh, for, for a second Prada and Pina here. Um, Pina, I'll start with you actually. Um, Cause you last night were pretty avid in the Twitter sphere. Um, obviously sticking tightly to this game. Um, take me through your range of emotions as this game becomes a blowout, kind of the, the thunder going from the, the 0 to 100 like no other team really can, with maybe the exception of Golden State, and then the sort of comeback that laid short and the Tim Duncan everything. So uh, take me through your thoughts of last night's game and the series as a whole, Pina. Well, first of all, I, I, I was pretty disappointed with uh, Greg Popovich, and I think that his coaching job, in the series is a uh, pretty controversial and uh, you know we we talk about how we can't really criticize Popovich and and how he's the you know he's one of the greatest coaches of all time yada 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 but uh within the minutia of the series from game to game I thought his rotations um some of his lineup decisions just uh 
did not really make a whole lot of sense. And mm-hmm. you really saw that last night when, I mean, Kevin Martin's getting minutes in the second quarter. And Boban's <laughs> coming. I understand playing Boban because he's afraid of the rebounding. But I kind of felt like San Antonio's offense was more of the problem. And uh, a reporter asked Popovich after the game about why he did not go small earlier. I think he started the uh, the third quarter with Ginobili and for Duncan in the in the, in the starting lineup. And you know Popovich kind of gave uh, a very Popovich esque response. Um, didn't really a answer a non-response. Yeah, yeah. Didn't really answer the question. And and I thought you know heading into the heading into game game six. I I, I, I first of all. Games uh, two, three, and four were, and five were all competitive, and they all went down to the final couple minutes. I did not think that there was any need for um, a rash change from what was what, what the Spurs were doing. I, I, I think OKC's defense was spectacular. Um, I don't necessarily think that they were the uh, more dominant team overall. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if. The better team won this series, to be honest with you, which I hate. I, 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 I'm a firm <laughs> believer that the, the better team always wins. Well, can, I take, can I take you back for one second? I want you to keep going here, but I want Prada to get a hack at the Popovich situation. Yes. Prada, you've been, you've been I, chomping at the bits. Go for it. Just I'm, real... I'm glad you brought Sorry, this Peter. up. I'm glad you brought this up because I think you can make an argument that Greg Popovich, this is not the first series he has been outcoached in. You have this year where he, I would say, got outcoached by an NBA rookie in Billy Donovan. You had last year where I thought he kind of got outcoached by Doc Rivers. You remember he benched Kawhi Leonard in Game 7 for like making a bad backdoor cut by the Clippers, and he just mm. didn't bring him back in for a while, and he like sat Danny Green for a long time, even though those are your two best defenders or your two best chances to guard Chris Paul. Uh, I would say they maybe got outcoached the when they beat the when they lost to the Thunder in 2012, where the Thunder Scotty made Brooks. An, yeah where they made an adjustment and they didn't have an answer for that. You know, I, it's true. Like we don't really criticize Popovich. Now there was an interesting take. I'm curious what you guys thought about this. J- our friend of the podcast, Jonathan Jarks, writing on the Ringer, essentially writing about how Pop's failure, the Spurs' failure, sort of illustrates. Not necessarily that just that Pop was outcoached, but rather that maybe coaching in general is overrated, that we we attach too much importance to that when really it comes down to the Thunder had the two best players in the series. They had a good matchup, and you know maybe if Pop is such a great coach, he should have been able to fix it. The fact that he didn't proves that maybe great coaches don't matter. I'm curious what you think about that because I – I think there's some truth to it, but I do disagree with some of it. I read that article. It was a fine piece. Um, to that point, I, I, I would disagree just because uh, Popovich's importance, Popovich's decision-making kind of cost him the series. I mean, he, he didn't stagger Kawhi and Aldridge for offensive reasons. He didn't stagger uh, Kawhi and Danny Green for defensive reasons. And these were uh, situations where... Oklahoma City went on runs when Durant or Westbrook were on the floor at times when both Green and Kawhi were off. And, you know, these games went down to the wire, and that's what killed them. So you're, you're, I would agree with you. I mean, you're, you're basically saying that the problem is not the coach kind of gravitas that we attach to these people. It's just that Popovich didn't make great decisions in this series. Now, being a coach is about making a ton of decisions, some we know about and we can measure – and a lot we don't. And right. 
that's what makes this very difficult. But I would say that I agree that some of the decisions that we can measure and we can understand were decisions that I thought were poor ones. And then even going back previously in the series, I was a game two where Popovich took out Kawhi Leonard with two fouls near the end of the first half uh, and let force Mono Ginobili to guard uh, to guard uh, Durant. I know we talked about that in our podcast at the time, right, Ben? Yeah, no, we, we did. I, th- I believe that was game two, man. I also think that we hit a few things earlier on in the, I'm going to say two episodes ago as well, where we kind of hinted at some of these possible deficiencies when we talked about if the if Oklahoma City can pull it off. You're going to have to have like a guy like Waiters step up. and I mean, Waiters was really good in this year. I think part of what we're missing here is maybe too much is being made about what the Spurs uh, didn't do and not really what Oklahoma City kind of did differently that people hadn't seen from them. And with that being said, makes them – it shouldn't be a surprise that they that they beat the Spurs. Yeah, I think that- I think they looked like the – just – again, they were playing at such a high level last night in particular. But – I thought Kawhi was minimized in this series, man. And I want to ask both of you where he stands in your eyes or any lower or higher in the hierarchy of the best players in the league after this series against two of the other top players. Is Kawhi still right there? Because he didn't have any takeover games. I don't have any memorable moments in my head of Kawhi Leonard from this series, to be totally honest, outside of game one. Wait, what um, about game three? Which was, what was game three? Give me, game, give me three game three, they won. Uh, they had, game three had that poster dunk on Steven Adams. Yeah, he had he did have a poster dunk on Stephen Adams. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, because I, he had just a different. If if he's switched with, with one of those guys, can he can he put up like you know thirty whatever and uh, and fifteen and ten except you know, those types of numbers every night like like one of you know Russ or uh, or, or Durant? Kawhi didn't necessarily look like a superstar in this series to me. Uh, that's interesting. I I kind of disagree. I thought. <laughs> He was tremendous, and uh, I think another one of the things that Popovich did that I didn't really disagree, I didn't agree with at all was uh, I think when Leonard is on the court, he really needs to be on either Westbrook or Durant, and I actually preferred when he guarded Westbrook because uh, he was able to roam a little bit, and the Thunder can't run the Durant-Westbrook pick-and-roll really ever because uh, the the Spurs would just switch it. Um he had him on Roberson at times, and I, I and I understand him roaming off Roberson and playing kind of a little bit of free safety. Mike, I saw you tweeted that. I forget. It. I think it was during Game Five. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't. I didn't really like that at all either. Um, and I think that Kawhi's responsibilities um, on the defensive end are kind of much larger than what Durant or Westbrook really had to deal with. I, I know those guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's Dur- true. Dur- Durant guarded Leonard pretty well, I think. Uh, in the latter half of the series, um, but that wasn't really his primary assignment at all. And, and uh, Roberson did an absolutely phenomenal job individually on Kawhi he throughout did. the entire series, and he deserves credit um, for that. Uh, but I, I, I thought Kawhi did some pretty amazing things. Uh, I think his shot selection might have been, you can question it a little bit, he took some quick shots, he was a little antsy. He, he missed a lot of open outside shots. I think the Spurs as a whole missed a lot of, I think part of losing in this series obviously was, you know, it was, just, it was a shot making series to, to a greater extent, not For a shot sure. missing series, which is nice. Sure. Yeah. Um, but they missed a bunch of open shots last night specifically. Danny Green missed some shots that he'd been hitting in the previous game, sort of the road you don't shoot quite as well, you know, percentages happening, but but all at the same time for everybody. That's what the game got away in a flash. It was just one of those 
a thunderstrike, if you will, uh, where they just they absolutely blitzed the team and they looked so physically superior last night to everybody. I mean, holy cow! The the length, size, intensity. Um, they were playing angry to as a whole team, you know, full unit together. So that's kind of the Oklahoma City that I was banking on or that I had been predicting would be successful. I just feel like that same Oklahoma City. Now I want to segue this, guys, if we can, to the Golden State series. We only have so, so much time. Real quick, I'm trying to look okay. up. I'm trying to look up Kawhi's averages in the fourth quarter because I actually fall a little bit between you guys. Well, I think mm-hmm. this wasn't Kawhi's fault. I think other problems happened. Yeah, I don't want to say it's his fault. I don't want that to be. But I but, do think there was something missing. Go ahead. I think certainly in Game Four, uh, you saw Durant outplay Kawhi in the fourth quarter. Kawhi had a great first three quarters, and then had a poor uh, fourth quarter. I think that happened again a little bit in Game Five. Mm-hmm. It speaks a little bit, I think, to that. First of all, Durant can just get a shot off against anybody, but also with Kawhi, the that's one it. thing, the one like, thing, that's he, it though. Real quick, I'm, pause real quick. You go right back to it. Right back to it. He got a shot off wherever he wanted on Kawhi, but you're right. It's because he can do it on anybody. That's, right. That's the point. Well, and I think also Kawhi is not a good passer. And mm-hmm. what was striking about the Spurs in this series, and kind of was the case all year, and I, I thought they would get exposed for this at some point in the playoffs. I thought that they were a little overrated. But I did not think that would happen until the Warriors series. I thought that just Oklahoma City wouldn't come together in time, and mm-hmm. given their character all season – and instead, they started to play defense. I almost think the blowout game one was a great blessing for them. It sort of made them wake up a little bit about how, how uneven their defense had been all year. Mm-hmm. But the Spurs were a, kind of an iso ball team without a lot of space and without a lot of good passers. I mean, Kawhi is not a great passer. When he puts his – you know, he almost has like an offensive game that sort of resembles Kobe's a little bit where it's very – Inside. Oh, Jesus. I, look, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I can kind of see what you're saying, but keep it's, going. It's I, I, I like, like what you're going here. It's very much like he may, he creates these mid-range shots or these runners that he's very, very good at hitting, but he's not always great at getting all the way to the basket. And his passing is not – I don't think – if you compare him to other superstars offensively, I don't think his passing is there yet. And I think that's a weakness, and that's a weakness I think he and LaMarcus Aldridge had – and the Spurs' offense lack of space exacerbated, and so yep. what ended up happening is that there was just they had to take a lot of tough shots. And I think now Kawhi is also a better defender than any of the stars ahead of him, and that counts for something. But for sure, I see where you're coming from, Ben. Even though Thank I don't you. think this was Kawhi's fault, I do think yes. that you know when when it was the tightest moments, it did seem clear that Russ and Durant were able to score in a way that Kawhi wasn't able to score as easily. I would yes. Say. Yes, and and part of the the passing absolutely goes hand in hand with the fact that a lot of his shots either come from a turnaround situation or a or a moving with the ball in one hand that you know you're palming it, and like that doesn't lead to the highest percentage passes or the best seeing of the court um, offensively. But I, I kind of see the Kobe shot as well, right? That kind of line drive. It, it, as you get further out, and Kobe developed a three pointer later in his later in his career. I mean, I mean, Kawhi's a great three point shooter. Let's not. Let's yeah, not, he is, but it yeah. looked short percentage wise during the regular season. He was, but it didn't look so great coming out of his hands in the fourth quarters of these series. I could be wrong, and I could just be seeing you know, I could be seeing it wrong, Mike. But the number, I have the num- I have the fourth yeah. quarter numbers in front of me. Oh, yeah, uh, I found them. Okay, yes, good. Do it. How, how wrong am I? 
He had, well, he averaged 5.2 points, 1.4 boards. He shot 36.4% from the yes. floor, 28.6% yes. from behind the three-point yes. line. So, yeah, he just, in, when it mattered. The other thing that I find Thank interesting you, in, uh, in 10 playoff games, <laughs> uh, only 34% of his shots were without were off of zero dribbles. Uh, <laughs> the rest of it was, I think that's, what, 68, 66%, if my math is right, <laughs> is at least one dribble, 30%, three to six dribbles. Jeez. So I mean, this is a, say, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a this is a player in a team now that is very much like one on one scoring. Yeah. And I think, I think that finally caught up to them. Finally, they ran. So it, another way of looking at this is like we've said all along that like at some point Ennis Cantor's defense will get exposed, right? Well, Ennis Cantor was able to stay on the floor because they don't have anyone that can really effectively run spread pick and roll against him because mm-hmm. they don't have the space and they don't have the passing and they don't have the guards anymore. And that, to me, illustrates the, the where I thought San Antonio would pay eventually and where their regular season success does not matter. And that is what cost them, I think, sooner than I expected. But it very much cost them. And anyone who watched the Spurs play all year should have been concerned about that possible reality. And how many games did you have them winning in in that series? Well, I thought... <laughs> Look, I look. This is a story of trying for the Thunder. They, Agreed. I did not think that they would come together. I thought there was a lot of bad juju, and I didn't think their <laughs> defense would come together. That was wrong. Fair, fair. But fair. I did think that if the Spurs got by here, they'd be drawing dead against the Warriors. Yep. And now that the Thunder are there, we talked about this a little bit. That I think they maybe have a little bit of a shot. Yeah. Yeah, I want to get uh, I want to get the West Coast opinion on this. Pina, you live closer to the epicenter of the Warriors uh, dynasty. I it's guess almost so. a, almost dynasty. Um, sure, why not? You're at the bottom half of the state. You stay sure. up super late and probably watch more Warriors games during the regular season than Mike and I. No, not me. <laughs> Uh, it, at night, okay. Well, I'll say you're right. You're right. I don't games. watch them at night. I yeah, you do your own. Yeah, okay, that's, okay. that's, that's right. fair. I didn't, I didn't mean to sound really defensive. That was very <laughs> defensive, wasn't it? <laughs> All right. I'll let the whole world know. Prada has a spreadsheet, and he definitely chronicles and watches every single team. I, I promise you there's no shortage of uh, film being watched by Prada. Is that, is that better? Uh, well, I'm sure Mike does the same thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, of course, of course. So what I'll say is um, I want to get your opinion on, on how many games you think this series will go and who will win it. But before we get into the prediction component of this, is this a series that you said you were sad last night because you're not going to get Spurs uh, Golden State? But have you come around on this like almost 24 hours later um, that that it's okay that it's Golden State and Oklahoma City and that is, that's almost a better series? Yeah, you know, I I have to be ah, honest. Yeah. Um, I was looking over some numbers and I, I watched a little bit of film last night because I couldn't go to sleep because I was really sad about Tim Duncan. <laughs> and uh, really, the only argument that I have. Or the only the only success that the Spurs had, I should say, uh, against the Warriors this year was when Boris Diaw played, and <laughs> Boris Diaw was atrocious against the Thunder. And obviously, that's not, you know, that's not really an answer or really something to hang your hat on um, as a reason why you think that the Spurs could hang with the Warriors. Uh, otherwise, besides that, I mean, you know, the Warriors are a little banged up right now. Uh, which is it, it kind of bleeds into the the Thunder Warriors series and uh, pr- kind of picking a winner there. Um, Bogut, Draymond, Steph. I don't think any of those guys are one hundred percent right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. They have you know ankle. I think Draymond is an ankle injury. Bogut's 
injured something at the yeah, end of that think, series. Yeah, he got hurt in game five, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and then Curry, obviously, uh, I think someone tweeted out uh, about an hour ago that Curry said he wasn't 100% yet. Hmm. Um, so I think that's a big factor heading into the, the, the conference finals, regardless of, of who's playing this team. Yeah, I mean, Preda, uh, you were also someone who kind of, you have predicted this, you said that it would kind of be a... Um a short, quick series, or at least not as a competitive series, if you will, if it was Golden State and the Spurs. Have you talked yourself yet into this being a more competitive series than that, or is this still the type of thing that you think will be a maybe a gentleman's sweep or something to that effect? No, no I think this will be competitive. Okay. I and mean, I always thought this one would be competitive. Sure. I mean, you look at the, the regular season, uh, they played, they almost, they were led in the fourth quarter at home at least once in the, or at, um, in Golden State at least once. Obviously, you had the 40-foot Steph buzzer beater mm-hmm. that the Warriors basically pulled victory out of the jaws of defeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these games are really tight. I mean, the Spurs won one of those games against the Warriors, but the Warriors are missing key players. I mean, fully healthy, these two teams played, and it was fairly close. So, and I think great par- games. Part of that is that the Warriors, for all the great defensive players they have, and do not have a great answer for Kevin Durant. He has torched them all season. And really going back the last couple of years. They've never had an answer for Durant. Yep. Now, they have had an answer for Westbrook. Westbrook has really struggled against the Warriors because I think the Warriors just had this great team defense, the jaws that kind of envelop you, and they have a really good sense of where and when to help. But Durant can shoot. Look, he can shoot over the top of them. And, you know, as good, he's t- even too big for Clay Thompson. He's kind of more of a Westbrook defender. And Iguodala is a great defender, but he's not – Iguodala was able to kind of contain LeBron just because LeBron backed him, backed him, backed him, backed him. Durant can just shoot over the top and shake him. So they just don't have a good answer for Durant, and that is scary because that's a key to the Thunder's success in this series. So, yeah, I mean, I think this one will be competitive. The, the one challenge I see if you're Oklahoma City is that, all right, your defense stepped up against a Spurs team that essentially didn't space the floor, played iso ball, and didn't have great guards. They didn't really move you side to side that as that much. You know, I know mm-hmm. the Spurs usually do that, but that's not this year's team. The Warriors defending them is, you know, whether you believe obviously it's a greater challenge, but it's more importantly a different challenge. It's a lot of you know, motion on the perimeter. It's you know now you got to step out on Curry, and now and it's Cantor's got to move his feet in space and. You know, can Ibaka look kind of slow in the Spurs series? That might be a problem in this series, moving laterally. And, you know, it's not as much about your just raw length around the basket. It's now much more of a space game. And that is going to, it's going to be interesting to see if the Thunder's defense really is for real or if they just kind of ran into a matchup that suited them well in San Antonio. Well, real quick, though, what about – I think a few things about the matchups um, – are interesting, right? Russ loves going faster than the average pace of the game. It's where he finds all his seams and the creases that he gets to the basket. You know, it looks easy, but it's because his gears are just going a different rate. That's kind of the the consummate pace that uh, Golden State, or at least flow that Golden State likes to play with. It almost his game almost feeds into shoots a pretty low percentage, takes a lot of quick shots, feeds into what Golden State wants to run into their offense. It's I, that's sort it's of a the great problem. Point. It's a great point. I think. That, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of why, where this issue comes. Because you're right, Pina, you tweeted this, I believe. Uh, the averages that Kevin Durant has against Golden State this season are insane. They're scary. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 go Mike, ahead. You made a you made a great point. They have no nobody who can guard KD. Um, 
what I'm really interested in seeing is the the lineups that Donovan throws out there. Uh, obviously, we just saw Cantor and Adams. That combination uh, obliterated the Spurs on the offensive glass. And I th- uh, during the regular season, uh, those two did not really play at all against the Warriors. And I and I don't think that you can play them together now at all. So. I don't know what you do, and and the Warriors' death lineup crushed the Thunder during the regular season. So, will they go small? Will they stay big? I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what Donovan does. Well, are we sure that that big lineup is drawing dead? The only reason I ask that I, I've been using a poker term a lot, I know, but um, you've been playing a lot of poker. You online poker, playing, Mike. Look, I just was thinking about it. Now, the only reason I say that is that you could script a world where you put one of the big guys on Iggy Dollar, Harrison Barnes, who you're not as worried about beating you. Maybe you keep the wing Durant on Draymond Green. And then on the other end, you try to short-circuit the Warriors' fast breaks by making them send more players in to rebound. And you just try to pound the offensive glass. And rather than you trying to match small with small, that actually might be a better chance. Now, I, I understand the fears of that. I don't know if that's going to work. I'm just saying I'm not sure. I would give it a shot in game one. I would try to see if there's a competitive advantage you can exploit and not lose it. Because, because the reality is, okay, Harrison Barnes is not playing that well. You know, normally I think if you put one of those guys on Harrison Barnes, you would want to be you'd be worried about that. Uh, if you put one on Harrison Barnes and one on Iguodala, and then you keep your wing on Draymond Green, you might be okay. Now, you probably will give up a lot of threes, and it will be like kind of awkward in that sense, and it's certainly like a Band-Aid solution. But you might be able to survive the Warriors' speed, and mm. then in turn you can maybe pound them on the other side like you did the Spurs. I mean, because, look, the Spurs were a great defensive rebounding team, and they had no chance against uh, that combination. The Warriors are a good defensive rebounding team, yeah. not a great one. Now, the conditions may be totally different in terms of how the offensive rebounds are generated. Like, if it's, like, at a full-court game, it quarter might negate – the impact of like close offensive rebounding, but I I would just give that a shot. I would see Man. what what that looks like. I, I real quick, so those are the X's and O's that, and I don't disagree with a lot of what you just said there. I think those are the that would be the best way for um, stylistically for them to match up with personnel. However, I think there's an emotional component to this series. It's going to be larger than other series. I can't think of two more emotional loud fan bases and I mean in the stadiums uh, and then also just players and teams um, personalities that the NBA has to offer I mean outside of maybe Cleveland just because LeBron is his own you know uh, thing into himself or world into himself but uh, you know what I'm saying like I think there could oh, be yeah. this have their sure. been there done that component that maybe Golden State will walk in with this this feels to me so much like when there's been like a number one contender for years and this is like what their fourth or fifth Western Conference Finals in, in uh, of their tenure together, so you know the, the kind of like that that first uh, in line best top contender, uh, and then there's this champ standing there who's like people can't really see them losing. That it's the Mike Tyson before he was knocked out almost. Like I, I can't see Golden State losing this series, and I always get behind Oklahoma City. I just don't see how Golden State loses this, assuming everyone stays healthy. Obviously, that's huge. If Steph has a little slip up or something like that happens, but the emotional swing right now to me says. Game one's going to be this like absolute crazy atmosphere, 
place, you know, is going to be rocking. Golden State's going to come out, play great. That could feed into Oklahoma City playing really well <laughs> or it could go the exact opposite way. They just, I feel like there's no way of gauging how they're going to use the atmosphere home or away in this series. They're just this complete crapshoot. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think I think Oklahoma City's confidence, I mean, you know, terms like that are so unquantifiable and yeah. they're kind of annoying. Um, but they're real. And yeah. I think Oklahoma City's confidence right now has got to be through the roof, uh, particularly guys like Adams, Cantor, uh, Roberson, and, <laughs> um, and, Waiters. and Waiters. And Waiters, of course, yes, Deion yeah. Waiters. How could we forget? Um, <laughs> so I think if those guys, especially at home, I think those guys will be really tough to beat. Uh, I think Westbrook and Durant are, the t- are two incredible talents who are more than capable of getting hot in Oracle and leading the Thunder. I like, I, I, you know, now, now that they beat, I was not expecting uh-huh. them to beat the Spurs at all. I gave them almost no chance, um, even heading into last night's game. I just, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see it happening. And after watching that happen, I, I, I don't know. I, I would not be shocked if, if they, if they won in six, I, I, I'm not predicting that, but I would not be shocked. Now I, I think the point – I want to circle back to the thing Ben said about Westbrook. I think that's going mm-hmm. to be really important characteristic in this series. What Westbrook did to the Spurs is that they had some sort of orderly system uh, to kind of – or like kind of mm-hmm. to stop him, and he was able to, in his chaotic way, just kind of break through that. And that's why, you know, going back to more things I didn't like what the Spurs did, that's why I didn't like that they <laughs> – that they tried to sort of use Kawhi as this like roaming defender to and put Tony mm-hmm. Parker on Westbrook because like the second you give Westbrook an opening, like it doesn't matter how close the help is, like he can be sometimes he's just gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. But in this series, Westbrook's kind of mad dashes and mad attacks and all that may play into the Warriors' hands a little bit. And you know, you saw a little bit of that in the Portland series, but those guys shot threes. Those guys had a sort of very free-flowing offense. You know, the Thunder scored so many buckets in transition in the open floor. It will be interesting to see how that dynamic works. And like I said, the, the while Durant has been great against the Warriors, Westbrook has not been that great. They've sort of pressured him, to, him into bad decisions. And, I mean, that's, I think, the key of the series. If, if Westbrook can make good decisions uh, and kind of keep this game under control a little bit, I think the Thunder do have a lot of physical advantages that they can exploit. I mean, we talk about confidence. The last time they lost a series when their three best players were healthy was the 2012 Finals. Mm-hmm. Every other year they've had an injury before this year. It's, it's funny, though. I, Abaka is the third best player on their team, but I don't think he's their third most important player. I don't even think he's their third I don't think he's anymore. their third best player. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> he probably isn't, right? Okay, good. I didn't want to say it and get ridiculed by both of you basketball uh, analytics fellas, but I, I, he's not. He, he goes invisible for like 30 minutes at a time sometimes. It's uh it's quite it's quite interesting, kind of how that this this came up in the office today. Actually, how like, hey, what's Serge Ibaka doing? It's amazing how at one point <laughs> the Thunder thought that 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 guy. I mean, quantitatively was going to be a, a he might still be. I don't know about uh, the, the analytics behind it, but then Harden's a, a great player. We think he's one of the best players in the NBA, and they they made that decision 
financially. Well, I mean, let's see. In the series, he may be more important. I think. Yes. In the San Antonio series, like the Adams was a much more important character for them, and you know, we'll see. In this series, they may need Ibaka a lot to be more mobile. I mean, yep. it's it's hard to say, but I mean, my only point was just to say that the when those three guys, however you want to rank them, are healthy, the three like pillars of the franchise or whatever you want to call them <laughs> are healthy, they win. They win series, uh, yep. and it's only when one of those guys have been absent that they have lost. So, you talk about confidence in underdogs. Like if I'm the Thunder, I'm thinking like who, we're not an underdog to anyone right now. Yep. I nope, totally that's that. probably the mentality they're taking. I, I want to get, um, while we have a little more time here, I want to get your thoughts on everyone's darlings at the moment, uh, the, the, the lucky losers, Portland, um, who probably wouldn't have been in the situation if CP3 or Blake had just stayed healthy. But here they were, you know, here they were in the, in the spotlight. They got to showcase a little of their personality. They have some cool, good players. I mean, they're, they're good off the court and on the court. Um, I think Lillard and McCollum could both be in the next State Farm commercial. I mean, Lillard already is, but McCollum could have his own line of State Farm as well. He's a well-spoken, awesome dude. And like the more exposure they got, the more people fell in love with him. So here we are today. People are talking about how Portland could be the next team to kind of make that jump to potentially be a, a, in, the, in the conversation with Oklahoma City, San Antonio, uh, and Golden State next season. Do you guys see that, or are we just making too much out of too little? I think you started off with a great point, which was that Chris Paul broke his finger <laughs> and Blake, Blake Griffin hurt his quad. Uh, I, I mean, I went to those first two games of the first round in, mm. in L.A., and they were destroyed. They were, like, they were, the Clippers <laughs> obliterated the, the Blazers. And, I mean, that series was going to be over in five games if yeah. those two were healthy. So uh, nothing against Portland. I, I absolutely love Portland. I thought they played... They're absolutely uh, the, their best basketball against the defending champs, even though, you know, Steph Curry didn't play in half the series. But um, I think people might be getting a little too ahead of themselves with with anointing them as this next team. I know they have a ton of cap space. Uh, they need to take care of Alan Crabb, see what's going on there. Um, add another big, probably. Um and see what's going on with Myers Leonard. I don't know if he's already played his last game in Portland, but uh, but yeah, I, li- I like their trajectory. I really like Damian Lillard. I uh, love McCollum. I don't think that they're really knocking on anyone's door yet, though. Cautionary tale, the 2004 Suns and the <laughs> 2015 Bucks, which is to say that they cannot – trick themselves into thinking they're really close. One of the reasons they were really good or they got to where they were and they had this much success is that they had this great mix, this great chemistry, this great alchemy of all the parts mixing together. That offense was just a lot of fun to watch, very tough to guard, all of that. That can be disrupted very easily with the wrong signing or the wrong sort of approach, this sort of seduction of we're really close they can be disrupted by a Greg Monroe signing or, or <laughs> signing a third point guard. You know, I mean, that that can. And on the by the flip side, though, you can get stale if you don't try to upgrade the team enough. So they have a great GM, a great coach, and a great core. They will probably be okay. I just just be careful if I were them because they're <laughs> in this weird spot where they've got to get better, but they also can't lose whatever sort of magic they had that got them this good. So I'm yeah. half I'm half jokingly asking this question, but are you saying that they should max out Hassan Whiteside? Hmm. 
Ooh. Well, I'm just saying, look, on paper that would look great, but like in uh, the games aren't, look, it's cliche, but the games aren't played on paper. Will he mesh with Lillard and McCollum? I mean, one of the one of the <laughs> toughest things to answer is like, so you have this great chemistry and this great core. That could mean either you don't want to bring anything in to disrupt it or you can kind of delude yourself into thinking like, well, we have this great foundation. We can handle a personality that may not fit. Who, right? So who, could they, who could they trade the Sixers for one of our like 15 big men that we could give them? You know, no, nothing? No. Okay. All right. Well, I, have to, I always have to throw that out there. A couple are for sale. If the NBA world listens to this podcast. There's a couple big guys for, yeah. for sale. Um, all right. Real quick, because I, I think that it's interesting that we've talked for most of the podcast about the Western Conference. There's still a series going on in the Eastern Conference. I think it could potentially end tonight, but actually, I don't think it is going to end tonight. Um, Do we have to talk about this series? We have to talk about it for a second. <laughs> we, we, we have to talk about it for a second. We, we would be uh, not doing justice to the entirety of the NBA world and forgetting one of the conferences as Cleveland awaits. And we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk so much Cleveland in the coming month that we don't need to talk about them right now. All right, so but I have a, I have a little Toronto bit of Miami are still playing. Go, go give us a hot take. take. Go ahead, Mike. I think the Eastern Conference Finals will be competitive. I think okay. that will be a, a, a tougher series than people think. With who? I think it doesn't with matter with either matter. of them. I think in both cases they will – I'm not saying that they're going to win or that it will even go like super long. I just think – I think that these two teams sort of bring out the worst in each other in a lot of ways. I think sort of feel the same way. it's been a about, terrible series. I mean, it's been a terrible series. <laughs> and it's, it's obviously made worse by health issues. I think certainly if uh, some of these key players don't return healthy, then you can throw what I'm saying out the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if they're relatively healthy, I think – they will play Cleveland tougher. If you look at Toronto's postseason, they have run into two teams that sort of play the same way. They're just these grinded-out, tough, defensive teams that can have multiple guys to throw at each of their stars, where you've got, okay, George Hill and Paul George, and then you've got, like, Josh Richardson and Winslow and Lou Aldang and all of them. The Cavs don't really have that sort of defensive – sort of the, those matchups, right? So defensively, they haven't really been challenged. I'm still a little curious how that works. I think Lowry and DeRozan will just – it will just be a little bit easier for them to do their thing. Hmm. Now, I – so in, in that way, I think that they will compete with Cleveland a little harder than the public expects. Now, on the flip side, if Miami gets through – Miami obviously played Cleveland well in the regular season. They've got the wing players to play against LeBron. They have that defensive mentality. If Whiteside can come back, they have a way to exploit Cleveland's defense. Again, I'm not saying they're going to win because I think ultimately Miami just doesn't have enough scoring or any any options there. I mean, you can't. I don't think Dwayne Wade can shoot them to a series win against Cleveland. He's shooting. He's trying to shoot them to a series win right now against Toronto. He's been not, great. Yeah, but they're I, yeah. losing the series. So I, that's, I just, that's probably true. I just think it will be I, – I could see that series going six. I could see them giving Cleveland a challenge. I think we're – a lot of times it's the matchup, and I think this matchup just – they just bring the worst out in each other. They have too many – they almost have too many answers for each other at this point, mm-hmm. and that's why they both look bad. Pina, you think that? Um. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I. Me neither, man. I, me neither. <laughs> I, I, I think that. Well, I think health is obviously a huge issue, and I don't think that. Um, you know, Valanciunas 
they ruled him out for the series like the day he suffered that ankle injury. I don't think he's going to be a factor, to be he, honest, in the, he's in hurt the that conference same finals. Ankle. He's hurt that same ankle like six times in the last two weeks. Yeah, and, and, and Whiteside, same issue. Uh, even more so just because it's a knee and he has a contract coming up that, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what's going on inside his head. But, you know, if I was him, I'd probably take care of my money first, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Um, no, that's true. I mean, injury-wise, th- what I just said may be moot just because of health. Yeah, but I also think Cleveland beats both these teams. Neither of these teams is uh, the Atlanta Hawks last season, and this is a different Cavs team. And that result, we talked ourselves into thinking that would be a, a decent series and it was an easy sweep. This Cleveland team is so much better than than they've even had to show already, and they're playing really well. I think they at most lose a game on the road in a series against either of these teams. I think they're like a, that notch above. They they belong in the Western Conference with these other much better teams. I think Portland would be beating either of the um, Toronto or, or Miami if they were playing them right now. That's where I kind of see these two Eastern Conference teams. I don't think it's just that they brought the worst out in each other. And I think they're just not that great. That I think it's I think there's not that much to look to look into in terms of like these are old guys playing new positions for the first time like well, right. well Dang is now the power forward of the Miami Heat and, and he's been doing great he's been doing great yeah. all year on that I'm just saying I know look, De- Devil's Advocate yeah Atlanta brought the best in Cleveland when you look at their style of play the way they defend and the yeah, way but- they have to rely on those gimmick defenses the way they give up a lot of threes. It sort of was tailor-made for Cleveland. But it was I just LeBron last year. There wasn't even Kyrie Irving and, and Love playing no, well. No, I, I agree. I'm just, you know. But Atlanta also was sort of limping towards the finish line too last year. Sure, I'm just, sure. I'm just saying that, like, we, I don't want to – I think that Cleveland, if we're going to say that uh, these teams are, are really just not that good, I'm also going to say that Cleveland maybe isn't this good. Okay. That's can totally I, can fair. I count, can I counter with a hot take of my own? Yeah, hot take okay. time. I think that the Cavaliers are going to go into the finals undefeated. And <laughs> I, th- I think that they're going to win it all this year. Oh, yes. On the record. Uh, you got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, that may happen. I'm not saying they're going to w- lose this series. I'm just, I just no, no, be no, surprised no, yeah. if it goes six. That's all I'm That's saying. That's fair. I like more of the icing on the cake of, and they're going to win it all. It's like saying, you know, we're, we call heads. You remember Hasselback when he's like, we'll take the ball and we're going to score. We're going <laughs> to win. And then they, he obviously threw a pick six on like the next play. Um, yeah, you, you guys may need to edit out what I just said. But, no, 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 uh, no, no. You're, you're sticking no. <laughs> to it. I'm sorry. You got that. Uh, look, I, you got to stick to it. That's that's the way it is. I mean, well, I, no, I'm, 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 I'm fine with that. I, I actually really do love. Uh, what I've seen from Cleveland. I really love what I've seen from, no pun intended, Kevin Love. I, I love what I've seen from uh, LeBron. I think he looks like he's 27 years old. So I, I don't think that their three-point shooting is necessarily this sustainable uh, through four rounds. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I love what I've seen from those guys. Hey, I agree with you. And and I, I don't know if I agree with you about the NBA Finals. I'll I'll take another look at that in a couple of weeks. But I definitely think this could, the highest percentage, I'd say 50% chance they sweep this series. And then the other 50% is a five-game series. There's nothing else in between. Okay, well, uh, so, look, yeah. when it goes long, yeah. you'll listen well, to me. I'm just Look, I'm just saying, Toronto, <laughs> play, both these teams played them well in the regular season. Sometimes Fair. it's the matchup. That's true. And That's Atlanta true. was kind of spoon-fed on a platter for Cleveland, I think. Just... 
this year, everything could have looked a lot different if Atlanta just won that last game yeah. against Washington. Yeah. Sometimes nope. it's who you play. Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. And then I want to end uh, quickly, guys. There are, this is a little bit off the cuff. It's not really playoff related, but I just want to get your thoughts because probably by the next time we pod, we might not be uh, as many openings, but or there might not be as many openings, I should say. But um, there are five NBA openings right now, and some really interesting markets and teams and rosters are, are now at play. The Knicks, Orlando, Indiana, Memphis, and Houston. Do you guys know anything, any hot takes, I should say, that you could uh, you want to shine a light on fits that you like to see potentially that where you think the the best opening should be filled by a particular person or style. Uh, I want to ask about Andre, uh, Andre, I was going to say Andre Blatt. That's great. David Blatt. Um, <laughs> I hope Andre Blatt gets a coaching job. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, that'd be interesting. Yeah. But uh, David Blatt, um, now that there's like finally a young kind of talented roster, that's supposed to be what he's there to mentor in Orlando. Is that something that I should be seeing coming down the pipeline in the next couple of days? Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I really hope Blatt gets a job. I hope Vogel gets a job. Um, Real quick, do you, I, do you I, think do you think Frank Vogel got a raw deal in Indiana? Because I, I may have a different opinion on this than you do as well. I think that I, I use this analogy somewhere. I can't really remember where, but I think Larry Bird gave Frank Vogel like rotten ingredients and expected an unbelievable gourmet meal, and that wasn't cool. Like, I, 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 what did you want? Like, they play. They had a top three defense. I know he wanted Paul George to play the four more, wanted to score more, but he didn't give him the play. Like, I don't, I don't really like Monte Ellis. I don't think you can win with him. I, don't, I just, I don't really like what Larry Bird's doing over there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, I also do think though that Frank, if you, if you want to play fast and offensive minded, which is your right as a GM to want. I mean, I agree though that he didn't surround him with the right team. Frank Vogel's offenses have never been that, and they've mm-hmm. even when they were good, they their offense was often hard to watch. They didn't set great screens. They had bad spacing. I think it's fair to conclude that as difficult as it may be, with the guy coming up on a new contract situation, so your chance you have to either give him a big contract or you have to let him go. I think it's fair to say, you know what, we had a good run. I don't think that I think it's run its course. Like we've we've seen the ceiling, and now let's see if we can get someone better. I think that's a fair thing to to want. Now that being said, I would love to see Vogel in Houston. I think that would be really interesting. And if not there, then Orlando. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think Houston's opening is super intriguing. I you know the people that they're supposedly interviewing, Kenny Smith. Uh, which I, I don't even know where to begin with my, my feelings on that one. Can Charles be the GM finally? God, that would be amazing. <laughs> the Rockets would never, ever, ever bring Charles Barkley back. But <laughs> but uh, Jeff Van Gundy is supposedly a favorite. So mm. I think that, that that job is really interesting because, I mean, you know, they're a year removed from the Western Conference Finals. They probably won't have Dwight Howard next year but they have cap space they i i love daryl Morey. i think he's one of the top three gms in basketball um they have cap space they have a top 10 player so i think that's a really interesting opening how come how come the knicks haven't come up yet how come the team that plays at madison oh, square Jesus. garden hasn't well, come? it's hopeless does uh <laughs> it does uh is phil jackson taking a lot of these calls on his rotary phone in his montana <laughs> <laughs> his montana ranch right now 
But he can't do like the hold on on line one. There's something on line two. But there is no line two. It's, <laughs> he's literally the only line in town. I, I envision him like spinning the dial. Like you, you kind of put your finger in and you spin it. That's uh, right. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a little sad what's going on there. I, there's a lot of angst with New York. I'm, I'm just with a lot of these. I just kind of want to see what happens. A yeah. Bit. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I got to be honest. I'm a little surprised that Houston hasn't filled their job yet. I guess I would think that, like, if they could have gotten one of the prime coaches mm-hmm. off the market, like, they would have jumped on that and gotten it done. The coach would have wanted to go there. At this point, I, they're still in, like, this interview process. I'm a little surprised that that job didn't just fill right away. I wonder if it says something about coaches' feelings on coaching that team, that roster, and that, you know, and with that GM and all of that. I, I there, it may be no, there may be no good reason to worry. I just, I'm just a little surprised it's not filled yet. I'd be worried if they're interviewing Kenny Smith. I'm sorry, I would be <laughs> really worried. Well, look, yeah. you got a Casawai net, right? Yep. Yeah. At least, net. at least they're conducting a thorough, real interview process. I would assume, as opposed to pretty much every opening that's been filled so far this this off season. That's um, true. <laughs> you know, to the larger point. What, I think what the, do you think happened to Scott Skiles just to cut you all off? Like what oh, that was weird. No idea. I wanted to ask that as well. You guys usually know these things, but guys don't do that one year into their job at the company they've already worked at before. In general. Yeah, I went I, I went on the radio in Orlando yesterday and they asked me that and I had no answer. <laughs> I have no I I don't know. I mean the you read the reports about how Skiles didn't like Alfred Payton as the long term option as the franchise point guard, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you, you read about other clashes over personnel decisions, and I don't know. I mean, he he supposedly wanted out back in January, so I have no <laughs> idea what's going on down there. Uh, I'm just reading between the lines and speculating a little bit. I I'm skeptical that he was ever Rob Hennigan's top choice. To really take over the team, I I feel like it's possible that ownership sort of thrusted him on Rob Hennigan mm-hmm. after you know Rob Rob's a Spurs guy, Thunder guy. Uh, that tree they hire someone from that tree, Jock Vaughn, doesn't work out. You wonder if ownership kind of is like is is kind of telling him who he has to hire after sort of they did it his way and it didn't work, so now you got to do it our way. And I just don't know if they ever had the best working relationship. And so when Skiles comes in at the behest or, or maybe he, there are reports that he really wanted the job or like he thought he did, and then he realized it wasn't what it was, what he wanted it to be, uh, I wonder if just the relationship between him and Rob Hennigan sort of deteriorated to the point where if it was a normal like sort of angst of like what are we doing, it may have been better managed and resolved, but because of – a lack of contact. Like, in other words, like, you don't fire a guy because only because he doesn't like Alfred Payton, right? It's because of what right. the, the opinion of, course, of what, yeah. he, what he thinks of Alfred Payton represents. You know right. what I mean? He didn't fire him, but you know what I mean? Like, they, yeah, he that quit. doesn't, you don't, you don't get, you don't quit over Alfred Payton. You quit because of the underlying feelings that Alfred Payton represents. That's part of sure. Scott Skiles' personality, though. I mean, obviously, he has the power when he's the coach to, to conduct his pieces as he, as he likes, but. Scott Skiles is is the consummate little point guard, hard hard nosed little dude. Like he he fought tooth and nail to keep the starting point guard job, and thought he should have deserved it over Penny Hardaway, who was an All Pro <laughs> that year. Like it's, you know, I'm not, I don't disagree with the talent judgment uh, here on on Alfred Payton as a Sixers fan. I mean, I felt good about that decision in the draft, and I'm excited to see Dario Saric play next season. But like 
the, the whole thing of him kind of having a, a me or, or him personality, like that's just who, or that's who Scott Skiles is sort of. Um, yeah. I mean, the hire was, never really made much sense. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I immediately scratched my head at that one. Cause it, it's hard for me to believe that that was a hire that the GM, like Rob Hennigan on his own was totally, it didn't seem like a kind of hire he would make. I, I, again, I'm just speculating. It just feels like to me that there was some sort of, um, ownership management not all on the same page going on there and in yeah. a lot of ways it may be a blessing in disguise that he left i think now yeah. everybody can be on the same page and they've got a promising young team uh they've got a lot of work to do they kind of took some steps back in the second half of this year but you know that would be a really interesting place for frank vogel i think if yeah. they could get everybody on the same page that that team could make a big jump i know a lot of people didn't like the the move they made at the trade deadline with Tobias Harris, I I think I'm 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 in the severe minority. I, I thought it was good. I like I like that they have cap space. I know I know everyone else does too. Uh, but you know your your ability. They are in Florida. To, they are in Florida. There's no taxes. I mean, no, no income tax. So I don't know. They were really close to Millsap last year, and I don't know. You get Parsons. You're doing something. I don't, you know, no, I mean, man, you don't want Parsons. Mm. You're not a Parsons guy. No, I'm not a Parsons guy. I, I'm not a guy, uh, uh, coming off of injury guy in That's general fair. on guys with su- severely lacking athleticism, like he, or I should say deteriorating athleticism. He was sort of a plus athlete at one point in his career for his size. Right. Parsons is just a guy top of my head, free agent, but sure. the, no doubt, the, no doubt. The, the great point stands just, I, I like the, the fact that they, wanted to open it, open things up financially. Sure. And I thought that that move was a, was a pretty good one. Of course, if they wanted to open things up financially, why did they re-sign Tobias Harris to a four-year contract? So they could trade him for Brandon Jennings and Erson Eliasova. Just sort of going backwards now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, were, they were multiple plays ahead, like R.C. Buford down there. Exactly. In the, they knew they wanted Aldridge four years in advance. Exactly. So. They knew they wanted to, Yeah. <laughs> they knew Eliasova just sitting there in Milwaukee all that time. He didn't even know it. Um, but uh, cool. I think that we ended on about as far away from the Golden State Oklahoma City series that's about to happen <laughs> as possible. Wait, before uh, we go, can we hear more AAU stories real quick? Yeah, you want you want to hear some more? I want to uh, hear one more AAU story yeah. before we sign off. Uh, we how about uh, coaching a coaching one? Okay. Okay. Uh, mismanaged the last three minutes of uh, the Nike swoosh, the Invitational in Vegas with the team I was coaching, a 13-year-old AU team. And uh, I totally mismanaged my timeouts, didn't have one left for the final 20 seconds, and one of my 12-year-olds uh, was the one who alerted me of it. So it was pretty embarrassing uh, as a coach. <laughs> that's that's yeah. not so great. That, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of wasn't there a coach who recently did that in a game? They they, they ran out a pro a, a marquee game. They ran out of timeouts. Oh, uh, who knows? Uh, Blatt. Yeah, yeah, that might have been it. Was it Blatt? I think so. Last yeah, year oh, that's against right. Chicago. Yes, that's right. You, so you uh, your David Blatt moment. That's fair. I hope to have many more David Blatt moments down the road in my <laughs> non-coaching career. We're about just as employed in the coaching ranks at the moment, so I guess we have that going for us. Um, cool. Well, this was fun. It's always good to have uh, Mike Pina join the podcast here. You can find him at Michael V. Pina um, on Twitter, writer for Bleacher Report, Real GM, Sports on Earth. Mike, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Prada, that's uh, at Mike Prada SBN. Again, thanks for uh, thanks for holding down the studio, man. In my absence, this foot's gonna heal up, man. Doing the physical therapy every day, so good. Keep at it. 
in person soon with you, man. I uh, look forward to it. Awesome. Cool. Find the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, write and review it. All that is on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. That's the Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside Podcast at Limited underscore Upside on Twitter. Shoot some questions at us. We're looking forward to doing more playoff pods. And until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.